Welcome to The Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. Well, it is great to be with you and I am continuing our series called Sold Out and I'm really excited about this. This is is like a, a signature theme of mine. When I go back to the very first year, I did a message on body, soul and spirit. I believe in a holistic approach to life. Who's with me this morning? And this particular series is about developing and keeping a healthy soul. And as Pastor Kath mentioned earlier, if you missed the message last week, please go back and have a listen. There are so many avenues now for you to listen or watch our messages, whether it's on our app, whether it's on our website, whether it's on YouTube. There's so many different ways in which you can watch these messages and not only for yourself, but get them into the hands and eyes of our family and friends who are not members of this church. Because for me, I believe the Word of God should be preached in such a way that is biblical, practical and inspirational. I want to inspire people to put the Word of God into practice. I have an incredible passion for practice. I don't want to just tickle our ears. I don't want it just to be a Bible study. I want us to be able to leave with something in our hands that can help you in your Monday through to Saturday. It's great that we gather together. It's great that we can sit under the Word of God. But I tell you, when you're in the midst of your school, when you're in the midst of your university or your workplace, you want something that you can put into practice because we don't have the luxury of all this in our gathering when you're at home or when you're in school, university or the workplace. And so, my prayer, not only for me when I preach, but the brief for every preacher is make sure it's biblical. There has to be good theological foundation and understanding for everything we preach, but it has to be practical and it needs to be inspirational. If preaching the Word of God is boring, that, should be a, that is a crime. And I think every boring preacher should be locked up never to preach again. Amen. <laughs> Just saying. But I do believe we should be inspired Imagine living in the time of Jesus. He certainly spoke the Bible. It was very practical. But man, imagine the inspiration, the challenge that came. Man, I promise you this, the disciples would have been many things, but they never would have been bored. In actual fact, we saw them frustrated. We saw them angry. We saw them glad. We saw them mad. We saw them sad. We saw them everything, but we never saw them bored. One thing never came out of Peter's mouth or John's mouth or Andrew's mouth is I'm bored. No, following Jesus is a roller coaster ride. Who likes roller coasters? I do. I love roller coasters, the ups and downs. That's what makes it fun. If it's just that, you know what that is? That's a flat line. You're dead. That's boring. But life with Jesus is a roller coaster. And I'm so grateful that we have the presence of the Holy Spirit with us to help us in our ups and our downs. Amen. Because I believe God wants every area of our being to prosper. He not only wants to make us holy, but He wants to make us whole. I mentioned last week the Greek word sozo. Everyone say sozo means whole. It means to save, to deliver, to protect, to heal, to preserve and to do you well. God wants to do you well. Turn to the person next to you and say, He wants to do you well. And once you've finished doing that, open your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to read the same passage of Scripture that we read last week. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 to 24. And I'm going to read it from the message version of the Bible. It says, May God Himself, the God who makes everything holy and sozo, holy and holy, 
whole, make you holy and sozo. Make you holy and whole. Put you together. Here it is, spirit, soul and body and keep you fit for the coming of our Master, Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. Isn't that good? If He said it, He'll do it. I don't know about you, but I love it. If He said it, He'll do it. He will equip you. Pastor Danny mentioned that word already. God wants to equip you. And hopefully through my words this morning, we will be just a little bit equipped when it comes to managing the area of our soul. Last week, I mentioned that we are triune beings. We are body, soul and spirit. In other words, we are a spirit that owns a soul that lives in a body. This body of ours is an earth suit, just like the men and women that flew into the outer space and they had their moon suits on or their space suits on in order to um, live in that environment. We have a body in order to live on planet earth. And so this is, this, is, this is what houses the real us. Our spirit is the real us. That's who we are. And that's the part that lives forever. That's the part that God speaks to. God speaks to our spirit by His spirit. We are spirit and we own a soul. Our soul is our mind, our will and our emotions. It's where we get our desires, our thoughts and our feelings. And like I mentioned last week, our desires, thoughts and feelings in and of themselves are not bad. If we didn't have desires, thoughts and feelings, it'd be a boring life. I, I never forget when I first met my then girlfriend, this, this young girl at roller skating and I, I had feelings, I had thoughts and I, I thank God for those feelings and thoughts because it was those feelings and thoughts that led me to get into a conversation with her. Those things in and of themselves are not wrong. But if we are governed by and led by our thoughts and feelings and desires, that's where the problem is. So in and, of our, in and of themselves, our thoughts, feelings and desires, our mind, will and emotions are not bad, but we have to have control over our mind, our will and our emotions. And I believe that's where so many people, Christians included, go wrong, is that we are out of control when it comes to our thoughts, when it comes to our words, when it comes to our feelings. We have our soul leading our spirit instead of our spirit's leading our soul. And that's the premise of this particular series. And last week I covered off on four things when it comes to our soul. We need to lead our soul. We need to, who remembers? We need to lead our soul. Anyone else? We need to silence our soul. We need to silence the negative thoughts and the negative voices in our world. We also need to speak to our soul and we need to feed our soul. Again, that is available for you to listen to online. So please get a hold of that in your own time. But we're gonna continue our series today and I'm gonna look at the restless soul. Again, can you just turn to the person next to you and say restless soul? That's what we're addressing today, the restless soul. I believe today many people have a restless soul. They're always searching, but never finding. Maybe this rings true for some of you. You're interested in everything, but satisfied in nothing. People today are interested in everything, but satisfied with nothing. And as a result, there's this inward battle, this inward churning that goes on. And as a result, we are anxious, tense, worried and concerned. 
Now, I don't want a show of hands, but if I said to you, how many of those words would represent your thoughts and feelings right now? We're anxious, tension is creeping in, we're churning on the inside. And I believe it's because our souls don't know how to rest. Even at night, when we go to sleep, our soul struggles to rest. How many of you, if you're honest, when you go to bed, that's when you start thinking. I'm just gonna go to sleep now. Good night. God bless. See you in the morning. It's the last three things I say to our kids. It's the last three words I say to my wife. Good night. God bless. See you in the morning. And 99% of the time, I just go to sleep. Some might say it's a superpower. Or it could be something to do with what I'm teaching today. But I know for many of us, it's good night. God bless. See you in the morning while I worry myself overnight. And brothers and sisters, this should not be. It certainly shouldn't be our normal. Hey, I know there are some moments in life where it's just over and above. And again, no condemnation. But if that is your normal practice, that should not be. If you're struggling to get to sleep, that should not be. And so hopefully what I share today will help us find rest for our souls. Our souls by and large are restless and our souls need rest just like our body needs rest. Your body can't keep going day after day, week after week, month after month without rest. And so it's true for our soul, our mind, our thoughts, our will, our emotions, our feelings. We need to be able to rest. We need to be able to shut those things off and rest in the area of our mind, will, and emotions. Am I talking to the right people today? Do I have the right audience? Those watching online, you might wanna give us a thumbs up just to encourage the preacher today to make sure that I'm preaching the right message. But I, I, I see this, I see this. And if it is happening, then why is it happening? And I've come to this conclusion, it's because our souls are not being rested. And so where do we find rest for our souls? Well, the Bible says it this way in Psalm 62, verse one. It says, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. Now, just as a side note, I believe there's a few things we can do to find rest for our soul. Maybe you are drinking too much coffee. Maybe maybe part of the answer is to Decrease your caffeine intake. That could be part of it. But this is what I know to be true. The starting place. The starting place for rest for our souls. Everything we do must be on the foundation of finding rest with God. Peace with God. He is the starting point. I heard more recently that uh, uh, when you think about a treasure map, 
I want you to think about a treasure map for a moment. Who's ever had fun looking at a treasure map and, and you might have done a, a, car, a, a, a car, what do you call those things, a car rally and you've got, to, you've got to start in a certain place and then you take some advice and then you go 10 steps here, then you go you know, 30 steps there and, and, and hopefully you'll find X marks a spot. And as good as those treasure maps are, they only work if you start in the right place. If you don't start in the right place, you can take every piece of advice from that treasure map and you'll never find the treasure. You can go 10 paces straight ahead. You can go five paces to the right. You can go 30 paces to the left. But if you don't start from the right point, you'll never get there. And I know there's a lot of self-help out there. There's a lot of positive thinking out there and they're all helpful information. There's lots of helpful information. But if it's not on the foundation of God alone, you will never find the peace that your soul is searching for. I do lots of things to help find rest for my soul. Walking along a beach is part of that. That's, that's soul food for me. I, I love doing that. Going to the gym for me. For me, it's about two things. I go to the gym for two reasons. One is vanity, because who doesn't want to look good, right? Yes, just being honest. But the other one is sanity. It's good for my mind. It helps me switch off. So there's lots of things I do on top of this foundation. But it's from this foundation. And if you don't have this as your firm foundation, it doesn't matter what you do. You can go to the gym. You can walk on the beaches. You can stop your caffeine intake and that will help. But it won't find ultimate rest for your soul. Because the Bible says it's in God alone that we find this rest. I feel I should start talking to people over here. I've been standing over there way too long. Sorry about that. I just feel that they needed to hear it more. I don't know. I don't know. No, that's not true at all. It's not true. True rest comes from God. In other words, there's no person, no thing, no experience, no holiday or vacation, no amount of money. How many people, if I had more money, I've seen people with lots of money. They just have more to worry about. I've seen people on vacation, all, all they worry about is their next holiday. They're on their holiday planning the next holiday. I tell you, these things alone will never help you find rest for your soul. If you're single looking for that Mr. Right, they don't exist. If you're single looking for that Mrs. Right, they don't exist. In actual fact, I believe there's far too much pressure on relationships because we're trying to put on our relationships what only God can bring. I love my wife, but she cannot be my Saviour. She cannot be my Lord. She cannot be my God. And when I make her my idol, when I make her my God, when I make her my Lord, that brings pressure to the relationship. When I got together with my wife, she didn't complete me. I was already complete in Christ. She compliments me, but she never completes me. Because we are two imperfect people and two imperfect people will never complete each other. In order to be complete, you need to be with one who is perfect and there's only one who is perfect and His name is Jesus. And so it's God alone that we have as a foundation. Otherwise, our five paces this way, 10 paces that way, 30 paces that way, He's not gonna get us to the place we desire to be. There's no thing outside of God that can bring rest to our soul. St. Augustine said this, You have made us for Yourself, O Lord, and our soul is restless until it finds rest in You. 
If you're finding, if you're finding your soul is restless, it may just be because you don't have rest with God. And I'm talking to Christians today as well. If you are a non-believer, you are far from God, you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, I wanna give you a moment at the end of this meeting to respond that He might be part of your world. But I'm also talking to Christians. There are many Christians who do not have rest with God. They have religious activity, but they don't have rest with God. St. Augustine, I'm gonna say it again. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our soul is restless until it finds rest in you. Question, how do we find rest in God? I'm so glad you asked because we're gonna look at that in the next few minutes. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 46, verse 10. This is so simple. I don't want you to miss it. It's so practical. I don't want you to miss it. Please don't turn off because of the simplicity of what we're about to delve into. Psalm 46, verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. We're going to look at two thoughts today. First one is this, be still. You want rest for your soul, you've got to learn to be still. Notice the psalmist doesn't say be busy. Man, if, if it was about being busy, we would be there. We would be, we would be 10 out of 10 Christians. We would have nailed Christianity by now if it was about busyness. But it doesn't say be busy. It doesn't say be productive. And there's a lot of productive people in this room right now. But productivity won't bring you rest. God didn't say be productive. He didn't say be worried. Man, if it was about being worried, we would be there. We would have arrived. Imagine that, be worried and anxious. Man, we would, we would have arrived. But it doesn't say be that. It doesn't say be all wound up. Be all bitter and twisted. It says, be still. And the word still is from the Hebrew word rapa, A-R-P-A, which means to slacken, to let down and to cease. If I can have my trusty assistant come and help me today. Thank you, Carly. Let's put your hands together for Carly. This word still implies to let go, to lessen the grip, to create some slack. See, we often interpret being still as be quiet. And there's a lot of people, mainly older people, who think it's more religious and more Christian to be quiet. And we don't like the young people's music because it's loud as if quiet trumps everything. But this word still means more than quiet. I think quiet can help, but it means more than quiet. Because I can be quiet and still be anxious. I can be quiet and still be worried. I can pray and still be anxious. And I feel that this picture right now would highlight how many do their Christian walk. And we pray like this, Father, I need help. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I need help. But while we're holding on, and while there's this tension, we will live in tension. And then I'll be quiet. But while we're still holding on to this rope, there's still tension. You can be quietly in tension. Tension. 
I'll get on my knees. I'll, I'll, I'll shout and jump up and down like the young people. But until we learn to let go. And the only way you're gonna let go is when you learn to be still. See, being still isn't a religious posture. It's a deliberate action. And I think there's many Christians who live like this, wound up, tension. And when there's tension in our lives, there's tension in our marriage. Have you ever thought maybe the tension in your marriage isn't because of your marriage, it's because of the tension in you? Maybe the tension in your church isn't the tension in the church, it's the tension that's in you. And you can pray in all manners of ways, but until we let go, until we lessen our grip, until we make sure there's some slack, we're going to live in tension. And God's saying, be still. Give it to me. So it's more than quietness. Because you can be quietly frantic. You can be quietly worried. Quietly frantic. I wonder what's going on. I wonder what's going on. And our inside is churning. And God wants us to stop frantic activity. He wants to let things, or wants to let us let things go so that we can be still. It's a call to cease your striving and rest. It means letting go of the rope. Be still. Let go. Have some slack in your world. Don't be all bent out of shape. Living in constant tension. Now I know that this is not a natural response in the busy world in which we live. One of the many things I'm grateful for my dad is that he forced me to have rest days. Because I'm of a generation that wasn't diagnosed with everything that today's generation are. But had I been born in this generation, I think there'd be a little bit of diagnosis going on here. I think I would definitely have ADD, ADHD, LMNOP. I would probably have all the letters of the alphabet. And my dad knew that. Without knowing what we know today, he knew that. And so he used to force me to have rest days. Sometimes it meant a day off school, which you think is awesome. But that didn't mean a day off school to do whatever you want. He meant a day off school to rest. A day off school to do nothing. A day off school to Sabbath. I thought, man, get me back at school. That was easier. (laughs) To teach me to rest was hard. But I'm so grateful that I had a dad who was committed to my Sabbath. Committed to my resting. Committed to the developing and the health of my soul. See, Christianity, if it's not practical, it's not helpful. Dad was a prayerful dad. 
But he knew the answer wasn't always to pray. Sometimes just to have a rest. Take some time out. And I'm going to be honest with you. As much as I didn't really enjoy school, initially I would rather have been at school than sitting at home doing nothing. And I'm grateful for a man that taught me how to Sabbath well and rest well. See, our kids need to be taught not to have to be entertained. I know most parents in this room right now, their biggest problem is they're always forever entertaining their kids and you're exhausted. And rightfully so, because your kids were never meant to be entertained 24-7. You were meant to parent them, not entertain them. And entertaining your kids does not mean they always get their own way. Or I'm sorry, parenting your kids does not mean they always get their own way. It means their screen time only has a short lifetime. I believe parents are exhausted today because they're entertaining their kids instead of bringing these biblical truths. And just like our bodies need to rest, so to our soul needs to rest. Our mind, our will, and our emotions need to be taught to stop frantic activity. And this won't just happen. You have to be intentional. I got a tattoo some time ago, and I didn't want a thick, bold one. I wanted a fairly fine one. And uh, many of you out there have these fine line tattoos, and, and you will know this to be true. When you're having a fine line tattoo, they will tell you to be still. You've got to be very still, particularly with fine line work, particularly when the work is delicate. The more delicate, the more stillness that's required. If that is true for a tattoo, how much more when God wants to do something delicate in the area of our soul? When God wants to do something internal, the more delicate it is, the more rest is required. God wants to do a work that is delicate in our lives but often we are too busy for him to be able to do and perform the surgery that he wants us to. See, I believe God's plan is that we work from rest. If you go back to Genesis chapters 1 and chapters 2, you will see God's plan. He creates all that is seen. And on the sixth day, he creates man. And the first thing he does on day seven, the first thing he gets man to do is rest. His first assignment was to rest. Which tells me God wants us to work from a place of rest. But what happens, we work, 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 get so exhausted and then we have a holiday from exhaustion. And then we get back from a holiday, exhausted, because we didn't understand the rhythms and the flows of God. God creates man on day six and on day seven, he says, what? imagine Adam. What are we going to do today, guys? He says, nothing. It's going to be like Keith Rainbow. We're just going to sit there. Like, really? But if we can learn to work from rest, I believe it's a game changer for us to be still. Practically, what does this look like? Well, I believe you need to have a time and a place. A time and a place. In Acts chapter 3, verse 1, we see that one day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer. It was three in the afternoon. They went to the temple place at three o'clock time. It seemed that they had a place and a time that they went to be with God. Question, you want a restful soul. Do you have a time and a place that you meet with God? If you don't, 
That's a great place to start. Again, when I ask these questions, if there's a no, I don't do that, no condemnation, just make the shift. Make the change. Discipleship really is about disciple shift. It's not throwing the baby out the bathwater, it's making little shifts. In order to be a disciple, you've got to make the little shifts. And so for me, my pattern is I get up at a certain time every morning and we go downstairs where it's quiet and that's where I spend time with God. And it's funny, we've been doing it for so long now, not only do our kids know our pattern, but even our dog knows our pattern. Our dog will just watch us, make a coffee, sit down and read. He knows. And the moment we shut our Bibles, the moment we put our phones down, the moment uh, that happens, the moment we finish our time with God, he starts going, because <laughs> he knows it's time for a walk. Even our dog knows our patterns. My question, do your kids know your patterns? And if you have pets, do your pets know? your patterns. Honestly, this is not rocket science. This is not a superpower. This is not something that came easy to me. People have said all my life, it's all right for you. And I'm saying it is all right for me, but you need to know why. I'm trying to tell you my why behind why it's all right. You've got to have a time and a place. If you want to find rest, you've got to have a time and a place. You've got to be intentional. Secondly, you've got to remove the distractions. Turn off your phone. Or keep it in another room. The emails, the social media, all those things. Just, you know, these people say, I study with music on and the television. I'm like, really? Really? Maybe. But maybe you could be more effective without those things. Maybe you can because that's what you've learned to do. But maybe you could do it a lot better without those things. I think some of us have got to get comfortable, not only with the presence of God, but with our own presence. Some of us have to be comfortable with our own company. And I think going way back, that's what my dad was trying to teach me. Because he saw that I was a, a kind of a guy that attracted people and, and I was a guy that was kind of like the life of the party. And that's great. But I want you to be comfortable with your own company. I don't want your identity to be defined on who likes you and who doesn't like you. And so we need to remove the distractions and the third thing I'd say, you've got to be consistent. You can't just do this once or twice. You've got to have a measure of consistency. So find a time and a place, remove distractions and do it regularly. We're talking about finding rest for our souls. And the second part of this is know. You need to know. It says, be still and know. The word know means to properly ascertain by seeing. To acknowledge to be aware. Notice again how the psalmist does not say, you've got to know all the details about your sickness. You've got to know all the details about your situation. He doesn't say that. And that's again hard because we live in an information age. You can Google anything today. We have out there Dr. Google. How many, if you're honest, you have a symptom and you Google it. How many Google something before they go to the doctor? We just, we just do, and oh no, I've got a headache. Oh no, it's a tumour, I'm going to die. And we're just like, whoa. That does not bring rest to your soul. When your head, headache turns out to be a tumour just because you read Google. Whether it's true or not, you live with the weight of it. And I would say in your sickness, in your pain, don't Google. That's what I would say. Don't Google. 
Mitch, our son, and many of you know this story, but prior to him being born, we picked up on the ultrasound that there were some deformities, one in the umbilical cord, two in his left hand, and they strongly recommended that we terminate because of all these reasons. They filled ahead with all these reasons. And I never forget having to get all these thoughts. And Kath was there. He was lying in bed that night, having heard this horrible report from the doctors and praying, God, you've seen our unformed son. Not only in his present state, but before he was even in this state. And we had to get a hold of our thoughts, a hold of our feelings, And we had to allow our spirit at that moment to rise. And what we did in that moment was just fill our spirit with who God is. Say, God, we know You're good. We know You're faithful. We know You never give us anything we cannot handle. And I said, God, if this child never says dad, never says mum, never speaks a word and I have to push him around in a wheelchair for the days that he's alive on planet earth, your will be done, not mine. One thing I know is I do not have the luxury of terminating this child because it's not my place. You're the author of life. And we surrendered with tears in our eyes. That God is God. Let God be God. Do you know why we have a restless soul? Because we try to be God. We make decisions that only God can make. Do you know as painful as that moment was, there was a peace that came because I was no longer carrying something that I wasn't designed to carry. I didn't have to carry this God weighty decision because we gave it to God. We're not gonna terminate because it's not our place to. Your will be done. Mitch has since been born. We call him Mitchell because it means like God. He's my one and only son, which makes him like Jesus. And if you know Mitch, he's here, there and everywhere. So he's like the Holy Spirit. He's just eating a bit. He's he's just a great kid. And as far as him not saying anything, man, you try and shut him up. I mean, God has been so good, so kind. But we found peace in that moment and nothing had changed. The reports were still all bad. We had to go back to the doctor a week later. He said, think about it. And we went back a week later and said, doctor, we know you're doing your job. And I wanna say thank you, but no thank you. He got stronger with us. He said, he actually told us we're being irresponsible. He says, well, the other children who's gonna miss out? They actually got strong with us. And that caused some other thoughts and feelings. He went to go back and say, God, you are God. The Bible says you've got to know who He is. I think one of the weaknesses of church today, particularly in the Western world, is that we have church experience. We have religious experience, but we don't know Him. Paul says, oh, I pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened in order that we might have the spirit of wisdom Why? In order that we might know Him and know Him more. When I gave my life to Jesus, I made a commitment. I just wanna keep growing in my understanding of who God is. And it never ceases to amaze me. I open the Bible and I read something that God, I've never seen that before. I never knew that before. And some of the things I knew have gone deeper in my understanding. That's what's kept me. 
People say, how do you keep going after 27 years? It's because my knowledge of Him keeps growing. And I place all my pain and all my disappointments and all my fears in light of what I know about Him. And He's so much bigger, so much better. And anytime I get offended, this is where it lands for me. I put it at the feet of the cross of Jesus. I said, Jesus, I offended You and yet You forgive me. No one in this world has ever offended me more than I offended Jesus. And yet He forgives me and He loves me. I know that about Him. And it helps me overcome my offence. Not because I'm a good person. Not because I've got a strong will or because I'm disciplined. And I think I am pretty disciplined. But it's not the discipline that got me there. It's my knowledge of Him. So God, no one offended me more than I offended You. And yet You continue to love me. You continue to forgive me. Wow, if you can do that for me, I can do that for others. And all of a sudden in that moment, I am a Christian because it's Christ living through me. How well do you know Him? Christianity is not going to church. Christianity is a pursuit of knowing Him. And the more you know Him, the more the practices will be there. You can't know God more and go to church less. That's not the Jesus I serve. Jesus said three times to Peter, He says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter was like, yes. And Jesus said, I know. And based on this love you have me, feed my sheep. What's the evidence of this love He has? His actions. How do we know Jesus loves me? Because He poured His life out for me. Because He gave His all for me. How's the world gonna know that Jesus loves them when the church pours itself out again and again? And that's gonna get, you're gonna get hurt. You're gonna get offended. And we go to Jesus and say, ah, but no one's offended me more than I offended you and you forgive me. And we do it again. And when we get offended again, we go to Jesus and say, Jesus, no one's offended me more than I offended you and you forgive me. And we find forgiveness again. And we live in a state of rest. Why? Because we get to know Him more and more, and more, and more, and more. Please, no show of hands, but if you're honest, if you did an audit of yourself, how many would say, I know Jesus more now than I ever did. I'm more in love with Him now than I ever was. I thank God for those early formative years. I thank God for those youth camps. I am a youth camp fan. If I get live to be 100 years old, I'm gonna say, young kids, get to youth camp, they're awesome. <laughs> they're awesome. But as good as they were, I've had much better days since. Much better days. But young people, get to camp, get to camp. Because they're awesome. They really are. But man, if that's all you've got, church is not like it was, really. Maybe you're not like you were. Maybe once you're on fire, in love with Jesus. And now you're not, you're stale. And that's fine. That's why we come to church, to be reminded. Not to be condemned but to be reminded. And so what do you know of God? We know that He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's all-knowing. He already knows and He already cares. He's omnipresent. That means He's everywhere. He's everywhere. He's in your marriage. He's in your health problems. He's in your financial situation. 
He knows, He cares, and He's there. He's also omnipotent, which means He's all-powerful. He knows, He cares, He's there, and He has the power to do what He said He'll do. He can do what He says He'll do. There's nothing stronger, nothing higher, nothing greater. He can bring peace to your mind. He can bring healing for your emotions. He can bring strength to your will. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.